It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Friday, which means we're going to try and squeeze in a little arts and entertainment on the big broadcast today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we have musical guest Jimmy Thunders. Uh, We'll be chatting with us, and, uh, and we're going to share some new music from a project he's calling Just Folkin' With Ya. I have to be careful how I say that. In the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, uh, Ella Mika, who starred in the movie Birds of Prey. She uh, plays Nikki on a new TBS comedy series called Chad. But uh, we're going to start out um, this first hour with an author who... uh, paints a pretty gloomy picture of uh, where we're headed with regard to technology in a new book called 418 I Am a Teapot. It's by Edgar Scott. He joins me by phone. Edgar, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you, Tom. I'm pleased to be on the show. Um, How are you today? I'm doing fine, but, you know, it it finally quit raining. Oh, good. (laughs) And we we haven't had enough rain to, you know, recover from kind of a drought we're in, but well, yeah. but it's been a little bit rainy every day, so you couldn't get out and do anything, and it's been a little chilly. Um, yeah. You know, uh, well, 
I do know what the weather's like. I, uh, um, I, 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 I myself live in South Florida right now in a northern suburb of Miami called Boca Raton. And we tend to get rain in great big, huge, round raindrops, like, you know, a bucket size comes down <laughs> for 15 minutes. Like, you've never seen it in your life, and then it's, it's done. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and everything's dry in 30 minutes. Everything's everything's dry, but it feels like you're in a laundromat all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's. Funny. I was just outside for a walk, and we have that laundromat feeling today in in South Florida. And I'm 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 just thrilled to be on the show. I grew up I grew up in Toronto, um, so I'm fairly familiar with your weather. Um, not too different. Uh, my no. my father my father practiced medicine in Toronto, Windsor, and London, so not too far away from you. Um, and, and I kind of miss, I, I miss the, uh, I miss the leaves, but, uh, I don't miss the snow. So yeah, that's can, my statement on the weather. <laughs> I can, I can understand that. And, and, uh, in here in Michigan, as I'm sure is true in, in Windsor and, and Hamilton and Toronto, um, we're, we're used to people in Florida calling and telling us what the temperature is. <sighs> <laughs> I, I, I almost feel bad about it, but you did lead with the weather, so I, I can tell you. I'm not. I didn't tell you what the temperature is. No. No. And, and and <laughs> kudos to you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that, Edgar. But let's let's talk about you. You um, studied to be an economist and and then a, a computer scientist, and and how did that evolve into writing this very dark tale about? Uh, the immersive internet making us all slaves. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad to put it that way. Um, uh, so um, economics is what I did in college, and that makes it sound terrible. I really enjoyed it. And what it, it really is, is is a study of systems, um, because economists would love to see the world as this. We want to explain the world by how everything works, it's a system, you know, uh, free markets are a system, competitive markets are a system, and actually the, the concept of a perfectly competitive market is very much explored in my novel without me saying that's what it is, but that is what it is. Um, so that very much shaped the way that I, I, I of course, that's my, my, my university training. Um, economics is a wonderful and lovely field to go into. You will do a lot of writing in it. You will do a lot of reading in it. There's certainly a lot of great writers that have come out of the field of economics, but it doesn't actually get you a job. <laughs> I found myself working, doing little computer jobs because I just seemed to be very good at it. And um, in spite of myself, I, I got better and better at the computer jobs and continued not to find myself um, you know, I, I never got pulled into uh, uh, government. I never got pulled into, you know, banks or, or insurance companies. Those are the places where economists work. So I, I ended up working all these little computer jobs. Well, and you then, got you um, got saved, Edgar, from uh, at some point in your in your career as an economist to having to say, well, on the one hand, but on the other hand. 
Oh, but I do that in the book. My, <laughs> my, my, my book is, I, I want to make this very clear, my book is apolitical. I, I don't talk about politics in the book. Um, I, I have a lovely little saying, politics is like fashion. What looks good on you today might look pretty silly tomorrow. So I don't discuss any of that. And that's not the scope of my book. I also don't discuss religion. Um, but, you know, you know, I have a spiritual side to my myself, and that's... that's yeah, but there's certainly a strong thread of, of uh, the is. discussion of morality running. There is the certainly world. morality, and let's not confuse morality and ethics with politics, because they're not... They're, they, they sh the morality is independent of that. Or religion? Uh, um... Yeah, but I don't want to, you see, there's many good <laughs> religions out there, so I can't, I, I don't want to be inadvertently pejorative of anybody else's religion, because I, first off, I don't know enough about their religion, so that's, that's not for me to say. And look, whatever you believe, please practice it, you know, because probably we're all praying to the, the same God at the, at the end of the day. So, you know, I, 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 I'm just happy if you're doing the things that, that your moral compass is saying are, are the right things, um, as, as long as you're not trying to manipulate that moral compass. <laughs> so, yeah, the book is written like that. So the book is supposed to evoke a lot of thought on these things. So I'm an economist. I need to make a living. I ended up doing a number of little jobs. I ended up with a bunch of retail jobs, and I didn't like that, and I ended up I ended up working in a metal factory. I, I was a skilled machinist for quite a while. And that got me back into computers. And I kept trying not to go into computers. And then one day somebody said, why do you keep fighting this? Just go with it. And I went, okay. And now my life took off. And I got very good at handling large sets of data. And then because I got very, uh, which led me to being a database administrator. Because I got very good at handling large sets of data, I now got put in, you know, I now ended up on the, Development operations team, DevOps, it's the guys who make sure that the website doesn't come down, either because you're being attacked or because somebody's released some bad code <laughs> right. or somebody's made some bad business decisions and, you know, we're, we shouldn't be doing this. So I, the, the, the computer side has certainly colored the way that I view a lot of the world in that as, as a DevOps manager, I would get things like the CEO of my little company, and there's a lot of little startups in South Florida, would come to me and say, I was playing golf with these guys. They're great guys. I want you to use their products. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's a terrible reason for us using their products. So now I would have to go figure out what is it that, that, they're, what is it that they're selling, what is it that I can use, and what is the cost of it going to be? So, you know, you can see if you start doing things like that and pre-diagnosing problems like that, you can, you can start doing this with a lot of things and it becomes sort of second nature. And then, you know, so one day I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working, you know, I, well, not one day, I was working continually. I'm working and um, I just go, you know, we're going towards this immersive Internet. I mean, if we could make it so that you could feel and taste the Internet, wouldn't you do it? I mean, it'd be awesome. I mean, I could go to the finest restaurants in the world and eat a sumptuous dinner. And if well, I'm and we've actually, seen a lot of that, Edgar, during the pandemic, with people, uh, you know, cooped up at home, and they're literally going on museum field trips digitally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those things are great. 
I mean, I would hate to say that those things are not great because they are great. I mean, and even our conversation today is a product of, of that kind of technology. I mean, I don't have to fly to Detroit and drive to Flint. <laughs> um, and I can talk to you. Um, so I don't want to discourage any of that. So I'm a little, a little worried when you say, you know, it's gloomy. Uh, okay. Some things I think we need to look at. So the immersive internet, I think, is one of them. And the immersive internet is just a few steps beyond where we are. So it's really very uh, prescient to you know, the technology that's coming out. If somebody could do this, I bet they would be. And it, let me tell you, if you could you know, skydive and not have to pull the ripcord, and you're fine, or you know, go to the Antarctic and, know, and turn off the cold so you could just walk around, or go to the moon. You know, you would probably do it. We're doing um, that already a little bit with virtual yeah. gaming and and yeah. some of the other virtual technology that's that's available yeah. now. So I took it a little bit further. <laughs> you and, did and indeed. I, and, <laughs> and I made it so that we actually have the technology. And then it's like, okay. If I had that technology, I'd never come offline. Would you? <laughs> well, people barely yeah. come offline now, Edgar. I, you know, you you yeah, look yeah. at people. It reminds me of a, a Star Trek episode where they had this game that they wore a headset and it had these little mm -hmm. things in front of their eyes. Maybe you've seen the episode, um, and everybody was walking around in a daze because they were mesmerized by this game that they were trapped in. Yeah, um, and and you see people. Um, Everywhere, I, I mean, in in meetings, you know, at dinner with friends, you know, sitting around watching television, they still got that device in their lap, and their, uh, yeah. you know, thumbs are going away, and and they're just they're hypnotized by it. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed, they are, and uh, uh, yeah. Um, so. Right now, I have a digital device, uh, a mobile phone sitting on my desk, and I have my computers, and, um, you know, I've let the screensavers come on, and my digital device is simply handling this phone call, and I'm not going to play with it because that's disrespectful to you. Um, I, and I, so I, I deliberately try not to do things like that. But, you know, if I go out and we've ordered and my, my wife and I are waiting for, you know, I might check out the news or the, what, what's happening in the market or, you know, I, I, what happened in the ball game last night. <laughs> I wanted, I'd like to know these things. We have all this information on demand. Or the pipeline um, attack. We're spoiled with it. <laughs> yeah. I would and it grabs our attention. I, I would and, imagine and they, that's a story you're, you're following a little bit is the, uh, the pipeline hack. Oh, well, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to me because I've been that guy who's had to defend my own networks against nonsense. Um, and I'm thinking about what would a pipeline network actually look like? That's a lot of computers dispersed over a wide area. So that's one of the problems with defending it is that you've got to have people competent to manage large disparate well, uh, nodes. Uh, that's that's tricky. Edgar, uh, I think yeah. Edgar, I think we've set the stage pretty well to start talking about the book. And but the I book, have to take but I have to take a short uh, break right sure. here. Can you stick around for a few minutes, and Absolutely. we'll talk some more. My guest is uh, Edgar Scott, author of a new novel, Four Eighteen. I am a teapot. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do 
when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air 
where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with uh, economist turned computer scientist turned author Edgar Scott, who uh, joins me by phone to talk about his uh, uh, new dystopian novel, uh, which takes immersive internet to the next level, called 418. I am a teapot. His uh, name is Edgar Scott. He joins me uh, by phone, as I mentioned. And Edgar, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. <laughs> yeah, your commercials are quite enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Good. I'm glad. Um, sounds, sounds positive. <laughs> well, I, um, I try to keep it upbeat. Uh, but um, but but let's talk about the the dystopian nature of this book. Right. You're, we so, we kind of set it up in the last segment, talking about how um, immersed we already are in in a lot of are. ways in the internet and and the new technology that's breaking ground all the time. General Motors just recently announcing that uh, uh, by what did they say by 2030 or yeah by 2030 they they. Uh, expect to be um, producing cars that are um, uh, all electric and um, yeah. we've got cars that are driving themselves yeah I have those too <laughs> yeah um, and you know it's it's fantastic technology and, and it, on the face of it it should save a lot of lives because um, my, my eldest brother passed away in a car accident, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but it will change the way we live. Well, Edgar, and, things things are changing already, and I think what your book does, yeah. and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it sort of blends the direction that technology already seems to be going and this concern that some economists um, are starting to predict that... Uh, artificial intelligence is going to make an awful lot of well and robotics um is going to make an awful lot of jobs obsolete and and so there it's going to be really tough to figure out how to make an economy out of that and and what your book does and the story in your book sort of blends all those things and says what what if this goes horribly wrong Right. Um, so getting back to the book, and, and I love that you've said that, because now I know that I can talk about that, and, and you're not going to, because a lot of people want to talk about the technology. Well, the technology has come into place, and the fact of the matter is, is the immersive Internet's an awful lot of fun. It's, it takes 100% of your attention, kind of like a lot of our technologies do right now that are always seeking to engage you and keep you on the platform. So... If you're on the immersive internet, you're probably not going to disconnect. You have the ability to, in my world, but you're probably not going to, which means that you've got to have some way to interact with the internet, which is a little concierge program that I 
Dell dreamed up, which is effectively a search engine. And you've got, so you can talk to it, but that means that it's got memory on that little chip that we put in you, and that means that we can program you. And how do you pay for your life if you're online all the time? Don't worry, we can have you do jobs that you aren't even going to know that you're doing while you're online. And so now we can have people sweep the streets, pick up the garbage, serve the coffee, um, you know, deliver the mail, don't deliver the mail, purify the water, run the nuclear power plant, because we can program this. Now, here's the real problem. In the economist world, you get paid based on your human capital. So you get paid because you have a skill set that's in demand. All right. So I got very good at managing databases. That's a hard skill to find. I got paid a lot of money. Um, I was a specialist. In this world, you're completely programmable. You've become a commodity. And what do commodities get paid? They get paid enough to come back to work. So in our world, what do you pay somebody who doesn't have any skill to do their own job? Actually, in our world, not only my world, what do you pay somebody who doesn't know how to do their own job and you could just program? You pay them almost nothing. And so what we have is an unpaid working class. And that's the dystopia. So you've got people who live their entire lives online and they've become socially backward. They are not development, developed educationally. Um, because there's really no education other than implanting this chip. They don't, while the Internet offers them so many cool things to do, they do the same things all the time. So basically, they, they send messages to each other and play solitaire or, or casino games all day while they're at work, which is not that far off from what people do. That's true. And, and, and But what has happened is, because these people are unpaid, it has changed the way that business works, and it has stalled the development of technology. Technology has actually stalled the development of technology, because we have programmable labor, which is really, really cheap, cheaper than machines. And so the whole economy and the social structure starts to collapse, because entire neighborhoods where people used to have jobs you know, delivering papers or um, selling muffins and things like that, they're gone. And, and so, you know, the entire community starts to fall in on itself, and it starts to spread upward. And, and that's, the, from the economist's point of view, that's the dystopia I wanted everyone to see, is that this would spread forward. And, and indeed, I have two protagonists, and I've written the book in a really interesting manner. I have two different narrators. One is the uh, narrator for 418, um, and, and his name is also George. And he lives online, and so that narrator can show you all the stuff online. And then he has a manager who he lives off of renting out 418. And he views the world a little differently, and he's in danger of being pulled into the world of 418. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the title, 418, I Am a Teapot. Yeah. You know, at first glance, somebody might see uh, 418 and think that maybe this is some Bible verse or, you know. <laughs> oh, some, oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that, you know, at first glance it might be that, but once you dig in a little bit, you realize that's George's ID number. 
That's George's ID number. Happens to end in 418. And his wife is 814. Of course, she is the opposite but the mirror image and the analog of him. Um, but, there, there's that um, economist, Edgar, on one hand and then on yeah. the other hand. But um, he's 418. But what, what, 418 but what about the teapot is, part? All right. So what 418 actually is is an HTTP response code. And it, it really actually exists. If you go to, you know, Google forward slash teapot, they'll show you a web page and it says 418, I am a teapot. Um, and that's because it actually exists. Um, it is a client-side error. That means that you, as the visitor to the website, the client, has made an error. And you, you're very familiar with the 404 error code, which means that you have asked for a resource that does not exist. Right. Well, 418 is you have asked a teapot to brew coffee. It was originally a joke, but it's, it's very clever, and IT guys love it, but internet browsers ignore it. So we can actually throw that back to you when we're you know, managing our website for when you hit some edge case system that we were looking for. Because when you're running a commercial website, there's so much traffic. It's really hard to see what's going on sometimes, especially for that one little thing that happens every 10,000 visitors, 100,000 visitors that you can't pick out. So now we can see it in the logs. So it, it, it's something that I've worked in companies where we've used it so that we can flag things in our logs. But it's, it, it, was, it was originally a joke. Um, but many things on the Internet are not what they appear to be. Okay, People are not what they appear to be. Web servers are not what they appear to be. They could just be little pieces of Python and Go code. Um, they don't actually have to be a physical box anymore. Things are hypervised and cut into and virtualized into many pieces. They're aggregated into one large piece and then cut into small pieces. So I thought this was very appropriate because sometimes we don't always know what we are connecting with on the Internet. And I thought that was very, very true. And then there's the third, or I don't know if it's the third side. I'm getting lost on my number of points here. If you could be programmed, you might as well be a teapot. In fact, you might even be a teapot, and you might not even know it. And so that's, I thought and that how this, does this just worked. How does this work in the story where um, people are, are physically doing these very unpleasant, uh, well, often unpleasant tasks, um, yeah. literally um, operating as slaves, but they are completely mentally disengaged how does yeah. how does that work physically okay um so in in my world what we've done is we've virtualized your brain okay so that's the next step in virtualization we virtualize computers in that we can take one computer um uh, processor chip and turn it into many different computers okay so what we've done is we've taken your human brain and made it essentially two different computers one of them is off playing uh, casino games, and it, it is done in a low-res situation because the other side of it is using most of your resources to do whatever job you're programmed or being asked to do. So you can choose to watch, but you can't override it because you need to work for a living. Or since that's probably really boring and you don't know what you're doing anyway, you're probably going to want to play computer games or watch some entertainment on the other side of your mind. Um, and, now, I'm, and I'm so assuming that this, that this technology is, is wireless. Is it 
um, mm-hmm. implants in the brain? Yes, it is. It is an implant in the brain. It is wireless, um, and so, and this also sort of dovetails with the way that I see uh, autonomous vehicles. Um, so one part wireless. of your so one part of your brain is, uh, you know, playing uh, online slots, while the other part of your brain is mining coal. It could be yes, and and you don't even have to be aware of what you're doing. And your your little concierge program will do all of the walking, standing, picking up, whatever it needs to do to get that job done. In fact, it'll even take you home. And it'll get you undressed into the shower, hook you up to your feeding tube, and then you can go to a gourmet restaurant online and it will taste just like you're at, you know, a fantastic five-star restaurant. I, but you, in reality, you just worked manual labor all day. You went home, sat in your chair, so that you can recover to come back and work the next day. When you were putting this story together, were you thinking of this as as pure fantasy or a cautionary tale? Uh, I thought of it as a cautionary tale. Um, it's. Yeah, so I give you the instructions on how to break out of that because uh, it would be, and I I leave the story with hope because if I didn't do that, it would just be terribly depressing. Nobody would ever want to read it. Um, we, We are already in a situation where much of the things that I talk about are in our lives to some extent. Um, where we feel like we have to do things. The concept of being a slave to to our wages is, is certainly one of them. I'm not telling anyone to say, look, I really don't like what I do. I'm going to stop doing it. And But <laughs> you have, I mean, you certainly do have to pay your bills, but you have to say, I want more. So throughout the course of the story, my characters rehumanize themselves. Um, first off, uh, 418, is treated as, and he is in this group of people that I just call staff. Well, why do we call people staff? We call people staff because we don't want to bother and don't know their names. Um, That's why we call them staff. And so he's in the staff class, and he doesn't even have a gender because... Well, in some cases, in all fairness, it's because there are a lot of them, maybe too many to enumerate. And too many. And and I get that. That's that's very, very much the case. I mean, it would be crazy for us to learn the names of everybody that we ever came into contact with in a very passing nature. But, um, you know, I certainly know the names of the waitress who I often go to, the you know, a cafe once every couple of weeks. So I, I, I try to do that because it's, it's humanizing. But we dehumanize people so we can exploit them. And, he, and 418 is dehumanized. He accepts this, and he has to actually understand. He comes to understand that everything in his life has no value and no meaning. So he has to come to look for value and meaning. And the only person he can actually talk to is the man who actually um, manages him or, or really effectively owns him. And, and the man who owns him has his own problems, that he is in danger of being forced to become staff. And so he looks at 418 and goes, how can I avoid this? And so now they, they build a, a conversation, and they start to build a friendship. And they start to realize they must work together. But in order to get out, 
Brian, who is the manager, has to force 418 to say, I want to be out. I want meaning. I want to be free. And he won't. He has information that 418 could use, but he can't give it to him until 418 actually commits to it and says that. That's what he wants. Um, and that's actually very key whenever we look at making transformation in our own lives. Is we must say that in order to go forward. So if you want to avoid some of the pitfalls of the oncoming IT world, we have to evaluate what we're getting and say, is this what I want? And say, no, that isn't, or yes, it is. And be very conscious about these things. That's a big part of the warning of my book. Do you think you, uh, with regard to technology and its Ooh. ongoing evolution, do we, do we have to be all in or all out? I mean, is the alternative to, you know, get a, a cabin in Montana? <laughs> well, I certainly respect people who do that, um, and, and I wouldn't do it myself. Um, I think that you get, you, we do get the pick and choose, and it is a matter of understanding what we are giving, getting for what we are giving up. Um, I mean, we've recently, we've recently come out of COVID, and largely why we're coming out of it is this vaccine that it seems to have tremendous success. I personally had it. I did my reading about it, and I tried to find you know, good quality academic journals like, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine or The Lancet to, to find out what this might actually do. And I thought, yeah, absolutely, this is something I want to do. And, and uh, you know, good for me. I, I enjoyed that technology. That technology makes me feel safe, and I believe it is keeping me safe. And, so and, I I have, and, and I've had the vaccine as well. Yeah, and so I think we get to, to choose but we really have to be very careful and understand what it is we are choosing. Because there's great technology out there. I love technology, and, and I spend my time playing with computers and, and writing code you know, as, as a hobby, because I don't have to do it professionally anymore. <laughs> um, but but uh, you know, it's, we, we just must understand what it is. And we're not always told, and we don't always bother to find out. We can't be too accepting. Now, it sounds like you um, you really enjoyed your work with uh, with computers and with technology. And I I don't know if you're familiar with David Baldacci, but he's been on the show a few times. He's written quite a number of mm -hmm. best selling. Uh, thrillers but he started out as an attorney and i asked him if he liked writing better than being an attorney and, and he said oh by far um how about for you now that that you're putting out novels with that yeah i'm writing another one um and it's sitting in front of me um well on my technology <laughs> um and um, I would find it really amusing, Edgar, to find out that with all your tech background, they, that you had a little Smith Corona in the corner. And you oh. were banging out novels. <laughs> so I'll share with you, Tom. When I wrote 418, 418 is written in chapters, right? Because I, I, sure. I, I go mad if I tried to stick the whole book in my head at one time. I actually wrote it using a text editor. So I used what's called the VI editor, which is something that computer nerds know. That's the shell editor. So we open up a command shell, we type VI and then a file name, and it pops up this black screen. And you type, and it doesn't correct you at all. 
and it saves things as just plain raw characters, nothing else. It's beautiful in its simplicity. <laughs> um, I didn't do it with um, a any voice software. I didn't do it with um, I didn't do it with any of the, the commercial softwares until I had actually written the entire story, and then I put it together because there's the software allows other people who read it to make comments that I can now see without changing the, 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 the text. But the original composition of everything was done on a text editor that didn't bother me, didn't correct my spelling. If you set it up the right way, it won't even wrap your words. It'll just cut off words halfway. Um, so yeah, really actually did it at the low res level to get it done. And then in order to actually see it, you know, in order to get some of these images that I've written, which I have some wonderful, now they're mostly dark images, but look, I leave you with hope. I give you hope in the novel. I, I give you the solution for how to get out of this and for how to be happy in anything that you do. You follow that pattern. Uh, you, you'll, you'll be happy. Um, I printed off everything and I go through it by hand and the things I don't like, I write them out on a piece of paper with a pen to get the images to really look good. That's how I do it. Well, this is a, a fascinating uh, story, Edgar, and, and I'm really glad that I was able to spend some time. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Um, and uh, we're getting fairly close to the end. But I always give guests, and, and I, I didn't want to dig too deep into the book because I didn't want to get into any spoiler alerts. But I, I don't want to spoil it either. <laughs> but, I, but I was going to ask if, if there you know, if if there was uh, a, a, a takeaway, some hope at the end, and you yeah. you wrapped that up nicely just now. Um, but I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been right. talking about. So do you have a, a, a website where people can find out Dude. more about you and your work, past, present, and future? Okay, I'm Edgar Scott Wrights. There's a few of us Edgar Scotts out there. I'm Edgar Scott Wrights, W-R-I-T-E-S. I can be found on Instagram like that. Um, Twitter, I'm E. Scott Wrights. Um, Facebook, I'm Edgar Scott Wrights. Uh, so I, I can be found that way. Um, the book itself can be found on just about any platform that you think of. Now, if you go to the physical bookstore, I'm an independent writer. So they're probably not going to have the book sitting on the shelf. But so, it could be ordered. It absolutely can be ordered um, because I'm an independent. You're going to save a couple of bucks because um, I, I know that my prices are a little uh, cheaper than people who went through a big publishing house. Um, and my ebook is $4.18 as opposed to $9.99. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, and um, you, well, I thought I really like it. Yeah, it, it was screaming it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just hope you enjoy the book. You know, or you can find it on Amazon, on Apple, Google Play. Barnes and Noble will sell it to you uh, through their site, and they'll send, send you a physical book. If you get the physical book, um, right at the beginning, that is my handwriting, where I write myself, I am a teapot, because I actually am the teapot as well. Edgar, um, um, we just we have a little less than a minute left, but okay. but very quickly, um, the next book that you're working on is it also a dystopian novel? Is it connected to this one in any way? 
Yes, it, I will. No, it is not. Um, I, I, I think I would burn out if I kind of did that. I'm writing a murder mystery. Oh, and fun. Really quick. It's not a murder mystery in that you've got to guess who done it. You know exactly who's going to do it. You know who's going to get murdered. Question is, is how? And is she going to get away with it? Gotcha. And I would like you to think that she probably should. Well, but I don't know. My guest is Edgar Scott, author of the new novel, 418, I Am a Teapot. Edgar, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. And it was a pleasure, uh, pleasure to be on the Tom Sumner Show. And, uh, Hi, this uh, is Joe Wright from you. the Blue Highlands, and you're Take listening care. to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. 
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Another five minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Greens Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len. Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, Lem? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mite treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine, mm, something. You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, Bean, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah, and what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy. What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. 
Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries.
get to be, get to be, get to be, just, just gotta be you. Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 